But the tale of the inner strife, the tale of it also having something artificial, something powerful and brutal that also finds itself in contradictions. I oscillate between privilege and discrimination. How to become active out of this position? These are the questions that occupy me and I wonder where and how I can give something back in this regard. Welcome to In Between. The quote you just heard stems from my childhood friend and guest, Nicolas Walker. Nicolas was born in Brazil and has been adopted by Swiss parents, which led him to go to school in the same village as I did and led us to grow up together. The in-between in today's episode, as you might have already guessed, has to do with adoption. However, this episode happens to be a very special and personal one for me too, as it somehow has to do with my own in-between as well. I think I have to start like this. When I came to the chair I'm doing my PhD from today, we had a retreat in the beginning, kind of to get to know each other. And uh, at some point, everyone was supposed to recount how they came to do social anthropology. Everyone was like, well, because of my biography. Like, I lived here and then I moved there and today I'm living here. This is what got me interested in cultural differences. Or something like my biography because my parents were already sociologists. And then it was my turn. And I realized, for me, it's also my biography. Because I had to think of a certain school friend who was my best friend for a long time and whom I basically grew up with. He was born in Brazil and got adopted by Swiss parents. Together with him, I spent lots of time trying to understand and get to know Brazilian culture trying to understand his background and uh, watching Brazilian movies or even trying to learn some Portuguese. And somehow that seems to have sparked in me the interest to get to know more about other cultures and to, to learn about different perspectives on the world. That's why it's very interesting for me to have this person with me today. Um, a curious thing that I realized is that uh, the in-between, which I also see in your situation, seems to have fascinated me from a very early age on, actually. And because I think that you or your life has a lot to do with in-between, I think we should start right there with uh, my favorite question, the question I ask everyone at some point, like, who are you and where do you see the connection between your life and the in-between? Yeah, my name is Nicola and I'm currently studying at an art school and Well, yeah, that's pretty much me at the moment. And about the connection to the in-between, one can say that this is something that has always been part of my life. Like um, always being a little bit in-between, never really being this or that, or being both as well. Um, yeah, and I think uh, this probably led me to study transdisciplinarity at this art school today. And as a child that has been adopted, I think the question of the in-between is somehow like a lifelong thing just can't get out of it that's why the in-between is something that really resonates with me i think that already brings me to the next question the way we used to talk about adoption back then and today to me it seems like it's a process like something about which one doesn't feel or think in the same way over the course of one's life Would you agree with this idea of thoughts about adoption as a process or the in-between as a process? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but that was clearly the case with me. That's the way I thought about adoption kept changing and that the topic of adoption during different phases of my life was in some time periods more present than in others. And right now, um, I'm in a phase where this topic again has become very present. Um, in general, I believe that people who are in an in-between yeah, those people are like constantly becoming. And therefore, I think this is true for me or for myself as well. Like myself as an adoptee, but also me as a queer person. Because I believe there are similar mechanisms at play of being in constant motion. And yeah, also while strolling through life, one eventually starts to comprehend certain things. Therefore, the questions I have today differentiate um, from the ones I used to have when I was like 14 years old, where the topic of adoption was similarly present. But there it was more about like, who am I? What am I doing here? I don't belong here. What is real? And then not finding any answers to these questions. With this uh, comes like a certain pain. But I think back then it was very much focused on myself and like this imagination thing of a mother figure that really occupied me. And now, like uh, at, the, at the age of 29, all of this came back, but in another color, so to speak. It was much more about like, what are the conditions that make a transnational adoption possible? What is the backlash of it? And how can people assume that an adoption can happen without any damages? And I think what a lot of adopted people share is like the fact that a certain narrative has been imposed on them which they then keep performing through their lives. Yeah, that's what I realized about myself, because I remember how I used to tell people, yeah, listen, I also don't really know. That is just the story somebody has told me, and I retell it, but it happens to be my story. But by engaging further with the topic and also looking at the economic, social and political conditions that make a transnational adoption possible or result out of it, has changed the way I look at it. And that's how, for me, my individual story became a political one. What comes to my mind now is that we have both read the same paper that was talking about this uh, crazy social imperative to have a coherent, complete narrative. And how difficult it is if one doesn't have that. Like, why does one need that? Do you really need that at all? What did you think when you read the paper? Well, firstly, I was very grateful that you sent me the paper because in the last couple of months, I felt like very strongly whenever I heard a story that resembled mine. And in the paper, they also talk about the need to have this complete narrative. And an adoption is often described as a crack, and I would also subscribe to that view. But when I thought about this a couple of days ago, I thought that a crack actually isn't like a wound. It doesn't simply grow back together. It stays a crack, stays apart. That's why I think that for an adopted person, there is no complete narrative, no matter what happens. No matter if one gets to know one's biological parents, if one moves into the country, there is no complete narrative and um, you somehow have to deal with it. And this is perceived by a lot of adopted persons, including myself, as like something very painful. Because it's something so identity-forming to have your own story. 
But as an adoptive person, it's not about getting through a certain process. Like, you know, something from outside has to happen or that one can arrive because this crack will be there. What is also there is one's own vitality. I mean, like, I have a body, I have a libido, I have emotions, I have all of this. And I feel connected to that because I think there's no answer for an adopted person except life itself. Generally, I'm interested in narratives that don't really fit, like the people whose narratives don't really make sense, uh, myself included, of course. What do I have to do with India? Why do I have another life there? This is not comprehensible for a lot of people, exactly because it's not a coherent narrative. And you mentioned something before we started recording. You said that when studying, it's always about one's own story. And without knowing your story, you and your art cannot be fully understood by other people. But the question is also, does one want to share one's story all the time? How much does one want to share? I think you need to explain this again and maybe elaborate a bit if you can. Yeah, I think a lot of institutions are open to get people to their schools that, um, you know, like represent a certain diversity, be it race, gender, class and so on. And especially in an art context, one somehow is being thrown back at one's own story all the time. In the sense that one is like asked all the time to tell one's story and before one hasn't told one's story, one cannot be understood. And this not being understood is, of course, very frustrating. And then suddenly being understood after having told one story has something liberating. But one also realizes, at least that was the case for me, at what cost does this come? Do I have to tell my story to everyone over and over again? And I mean, I anyway, have to do that all the time in answer to very simple questions that um, are being asked You know, like out of interest. <laughs> For example, when I'm in the lift in my building, going down 21 floors, and then someone asks, oh, by the way, where are you from? Then I'm answering from here. No, no, I mean, like, where are you really from? In Brazil. Oh, so cool. Do you play soccer? Can you dance? Are you half Brazilian? No, full. Oh, cool. So you speak Portuguese. And... Some people then start speaking Portuguese with me and I understand nothing at all. But wait, why don't you speak Portuguese? And then I say, well, because adopted. And again and again, I find myself in the situation that I tell someone that I don't even know a big part of my story. I mean, a lot of people don't really realize that these are intimate questions. It's as if I would open the door to your house and shout like, hey, are your parents still together? And I think a lot of people don't get that. And to come back to the institutions, there are senses a similar curiosity, like just to hear what exactly happens to be different with that person. I think I can relate because uh, the same thing happens to me when I'm in India. Why are you here? What do you do here? Why do you speak Hindi? And uh, I have the same feeling that before I know it, I've told some stranger a big part of my life and why it plays out on two continents. And I catch myself thinking, hell no. And uh, sometimes I get kind of passive aggressive and I just want to shoo these ever same questions away. And I think that there's another important element to this. that nobody understands me. I am sure the experiences we are talking about are not exactly the same, but uh, what you said somehow resonated with me. 
this having to explain oneself over and over again, it's like, as long as people think that I'm a tourist, there aren't that many questions. But as soon as they realize that I don't fit the classic tourist profile, that something is strange or different, it starts all over again. And I keep thinking, why can we not just talk about the weather today? Why do we first need to get it straight who I am and why I'm here? I think it's few people that understand you and sometimes you don't have enough energy to tell everyone your story all the time and to share so much with the risk that people won't understand you and just think, oh, this one is nuts, whatever. Yes, it's important that risk that even after having told your story, people still won't understand you. Because every time someone has to tell their story again, this can also be a reliving of certain experiences and maybe traumas. When you talk about the feeling of not being understood, um, I think of people then reacting like, okay, well, I just don't get it, whatever. While you yourself had to go through the whole thing again, for what? There is an asymmetry of involvement in that situation. Because that's a phrase that has been with me for a few months now. Not everything is a discourse for everyone. In fact, for some people, the same thing is a reality about which people just happen to talk at the moment. And for them, it's not like, oh yeah, quite interesting to talk about this because that thing has been with them since they were children, has been with them, followed them, confused them. And you were also talking about narratives, right? Um, I find it interesting to think that if someone has just decided what your narrative is going to be, because that is the thing with adopted people, that a certain narrative gets imposed on them. Certain people, caring for example the name parents, decide over a narrative that one has to keep performing. And I want to be critical here. Not about my personal relationship with my parents, but about the fact that someone is ripped away from somewhere and that not only this one body is then pasted into another context, but that with this cutting, snatching and transferring, a certain uprooting happens. And that with it a whole culture country, a relationship, and also ancestors. It's just being cut away. And then it is being recharged with the narrative, you now have a better life here. And I think myself have performed exactly that narrative for a long time. Because I do have a good life here. I am aware of all the privileges that I enjoy in Switzerland. But I also have experiences connected to my body that have to do with discrimination. And that narrative of we the West are giving you a better life, slowly becomes foggy and is questioned. Because what is this better life and who and what is left behind? These are questions that occupy me and create that desire or urge to appropriate my own narrative. That feeling of disagreement with the narrative that has been offered to me, I really share that. That's the question. Why does everyone need a complete narrative? Like that social pressure for everyone to have a story that is explicable in a few simple words, that can't be too complex, but has to be complete, coherent and linear. And I think we have already talked about it before, that an international adoption actually can have something very violent. Yes, adoption has something violent. I keep coming back to the conditions of an international adoption, which are really violent in nature. I want to question the narrative of, the, of adoption in general because most people think adoption is something for people who can't have children on their own, 
their adoption is an option, which is also related to something positive, like giving a child that is poor or has been outcasted a chance, a better life. And that might be true also in my case. Um, I know that I enjoy a lot of privileges here, but also by recognizing these privileges since ever, I had a feeling of I have to give something back. Why the feeling comes has become more clear to me in the last couple of months. It has to do with adoption originating from a thought that is also infused with coloniality. People from the West come and again take something from another country, something that is useful for them. It's also the thought that it seems really strange to us if two people from Brazil were to adopt a child from Switzerland. The fact that this thought experiment doesn't work out, I think, um, already tells a lot about the system underlying international adoptions. People from the West come to take only what is useful for them and the rest they leave there. And that rest is a whole family, maybe a whole village. They believe they are offering a better future to someone. But shouldn't one ask, is this a sustainable concept? What about all the people that are left behind? I want to invalidate international adoption in regard to this hero-like narrative. The same language also used in my court report, by the way that it is nearly a heroic, heavenly act of Europeans to travel to Brazil and offer a child a future in their respective country. I want to question this narrative as only positive, as complete altruistic heroic act. For me, understanding the conditions and the practice of a transnational adoption is really important. What about the people that were left behind there? What if you ask yourself for 30 years, how is that child doing that I carried in my belly for nine months? This pain which is distributed onto different people has to be taken in account. Here I'm a speaking of this. There is the story of the, oh, everything is so much better here, or the story of everything was just awful. But the tale of the inner strife, the tale of it also having something artificial, something powerful and brutal, that also finds itself in contradictions. I oscillate between privilege and discrimination. How to become active out of this position? These are the questions that occupy me and I wonder where and how I can give something back in this regard. And uh, something I found really interesting was how a couple of months ago you sent me a WhatsApp text asking me out of the blue, what do you think were my feelings, fears and longings in my childhood? And I was like, whoa, I haven't heard from you in a while and uh, I need to teleport myself back into that time and think. And uh, already there I was wondering, where is this coming from? But I already kind of suspected that it might have something to do with a renewed engagement of yours uh, with the topic of adoption. And I answered with that in my mind. And uh, yes, we exchanged a few thoughts about this, which was actually really interesting doing that some 15 years later and I don't remember what exactly I wrote but it was something along the lines of uh, how I always felt that it was an ongoing search for you like where are you where do you belong where can you live and exist in the way that you want and uh, where is space for that maybe also to build something radically new for yourself but at the same time that fear of not being understood or how far should one dare to open up, that I felt very strongly. I don't know. Do you remember if I wrote something else? That was pretty much it. And I felt very seen and understood by this. 
like I did now again while you were repeating it. And again, I'm coming back to that process. I think for the people listening, it would be interesting to understand how these feelings and fears from your teenage years transformed over time or how your understanding and your feelings connected to adoption changed over the years, say from childhood to now, maybe? Yeah, well, I will stop by saying that there was no point in my life when I didn't know that I was or that I am adopted. Actually, this is also interesting. Should one speak of having been or being adopted? I don't know. Anyhow, that's why there was never this experience of, oh, now this is the big moment of disclosure. And I think this is also the only right way to do this as parents of adopted children, to always explain it like um, child-friendly, depending on the age of the kid. Um, for example, stories like when I asked my mother, was I in your belly? And she replied, you were in a belly, but not in my belly, in another belly. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. As a child, that wasn't really a topic, I think, Rather in teenage years, when anyway everyone asks themselves, who am I, then I think to adopt this, this question comes even stronger. Because one suddenly realizes it's not only about who am I and what do I like, what do I not like, and how do I wish to position myself. Um, because it's much more what am I doing here in the first place. Why I'm here when I actually should belong somewhere else. And a certain question a longing or maybe even stronger, an urge to find the real, the right or the truth to experience that, to be there. That was very strongly what occupied me as a teenager. And also iconizing the figure of the biological mother, idolizing it into a nearly godlike image, a feeling of that this is the truth, but I can't access it. And when I traveled to Brazil for the first time, um, I remember that I was like 16, that totally relativized it. Because suddenly every woman of a certain age became my potential mother. And I experienced this time in Brazil, if I remember correctly, as beautiful and as a strange feeling of homecoming or a feeling of that somehow makes sense but then back in Switzerland it was related to a lot of pain I remember that I was completely destroyed and sad over the course of a couple of months because the image that I had built over the years kind of vanished in plain air it got demystified um, the magic was gone and then being in the cold reality being left with this inner strife yeah that was not easy Interesting is also what was gone, that one goes there thinking one would feel totally at home, meet relatives or is being taken into a warm embrace and that doesn't happen or again only lots of big cities full of many strangers, I don't know. I think the thing with these different people in these big cities, that was the good part of it, um, to see how they move, dressing and so on. I found that beautiful, that was like, oh, I could imagine myself there too. Suddenly be one of them to dive in and not stand out as something different, only as long as I don't talk, of course. And that also has something painful, that one is never right somewhere, and maybe right is a good term, because someone decided that there is a right, and what is that right? 
And what was gone was rather, um, it was something to do with a icon, with a glorification, with it's possible that I saw her and it didn't cause anything special to me because she, she just passed by. And I think this is possibility to understand that that could actually have happened. That took all the magic away. As if you would put something in a corner that was standing on a pedestal all this while. Well, that's so crazy because I remember that I always had that feeling that your mother is for you some kind of mythical godlike figure to whom you talk when you're scared, when you want something, when things don't work out and you're desperate. It's very interesting. You never told me that as explicitly as you talk about it now, but somehow I always knew it. I had always felt it. And I also still remember this time after this Brazil trip of yours. It makes me think about everything that is happening in another person and how much you kind of feel, but you don't know for sure. Yeah, it's like a spiritual figure, this mother, in a way. When you say that, when I was scared that then I turned to her, I think that's true. I just never saw it that way till now. Also, that she's a figure for whom I do what I do. There was a thought that kept coming back. I do it for her or for us. But actually, I don't know this person. I know her name, but apart from that, I know nothing. I've heard people talking about how she looked a little bit, but um, I've never seen her. But I felt a strong connection somehow, almost spiritual, that kind of always grounded me in a way and still does. I think she's just found a body in Brazil that she couldn't find in Switzerland. Before she was a figure, a thought figure, and she still is that. But back then, when I came back, it was like... Whoa, maybe I've met this figure in a body and I didn't even realize. It's like there was the potential for her to become real and materialize in space, but it didn't get fulfilled. It didn't happen and I think that's why this thought figure got transformed. And when I went to Brazil again, also to the place where I was born, which later turned out to be not actually the place where I've been born, then she was being put aside. Because I also imagined the place where I was born to be very different and there I kind of made peace with it. But to find out this year that actually we weren't exactly where I was born, that was, oh, interesting. I wasn't even there. But interestingly, that wasn't that much of a shock with 28. It was more like, okay, I just missed it. But it wasn't really a shock, more like, okay, I should travel there again sometime. Yeah, it wasn't a shock as it was a big shock when I was 16 and I um, had a certain name of my mother all my life and it turned out that this was not her real name, or only her second name to be exact. And there I was really angry and something broke. That was like, I have such little knowledge about my own story and that isn't even true. I was really angry with my parents and they were like, yeah, but this is also her name. And I was like, no. For you it's a detail, but for me it's one of a few th very thin threads I hold on to in order to explain myself, especially because I'm asked all the time to explain myself, even though I don't know much. I think that was a big thing in my teenage years, but then after that other things were more relevant for a few years to come. I remember when I was uh, once in Senegal on an island, It was hailing and people were screaming and we reached this island 
and were running to a house to find shelter. Then a man started to talk to us, guiding us through that very building, which turned out to be a slave house. He showed us all the rooms and he was totally angry while showing us around. There were different rooms. One was for 50 men that lived there and everything from food to excrement, everything happened in there. And there was a women's room and above these rooms there was one of the same surface space for seven or ten white men that were enjoying themselves from time to time, taking a woman up for themselves. And there was also a punish room with a very low ceiling one really needed to bow down in order to get in. And I did that for a moment and when I stepped out, something was different. Um, if one walked a bit further, there was a gate and there was the last point these African people stepped onto on their continent before being shipped and enslaved. And, and I was standing there, tears running down my face, and I was like, I need to know what kind of blood runs through my veins. I need to know my story. I need to know who I am. And that's when it came back. That was a couple of years ago when I also did a DNA test. And that again has something to do with the narrative like, okay, if my mother is darker than me, then that must mean half black, half white. And the result came. It was surprising. It was not what I expected. It was nothing like Afro-Brazilian or something. Instead, it says indigenous. And first I was a bit disappointed with in German means enttäuscht and if one takes the word apart it means no longer and deceived so I was no longer deceived it was no longer the narrative I made for myself and that's why I feel like an adoption is always a becoming there is no end it's an identity that keeps emerging and another question I had is if one spends a life searching and thinking about who am I and where do I belong I'm always in between Does that result into a firmness about how one wants to lead one's life? Because one was always in between or categorized differently by others. How does one want to live if one decides finally to take one's narrative into one's own hands? Yeah, I'm interested in understanding what an adoption is, understanding what queerness is, and to take those two things and put them in a verb, using them as a method. What does it mean in my work to adapt or to queer? Because if one is pushed around all the time, nothing ever really fits and one is in between all the time, then I think the answer is to be beyond and to do an exodus. Not alone, but with people with similar stories. Not necessarily all the adoptees, but there are a lot of people with biographies and experiences that led them to feel similar things. And I realize that other people that are POC or queer as well do not agree with certain things, because certain spaces are not made for them. That they are again between chair and bench, as we say in German, and then to find, hey, actually it's quite nice also here between chair and bench, let's stay here and see who else is here, and together we will do an exodus. We don't need to necessarily get back on that chair. Also the question of center and periphery, I think... Just doing what one anyway would be doing, wouldn't one have to explain oneself all the time? Just create spaces where this community is safe and has agency. These are topics that interest me and that I want to address in my art. The term of transformation, which also happens with me, the continuous becoming also interests me in practice. 
to transform things, to take them out of the context, alienate them and put them in a new context and see what happens then. And in that sense, multiply things and bring them to life. Very much like the practice of adoption, but leading it to take up the project of justice. Mm -hmm. 